All right, let's get to it. Exodus chapter 16. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, but I got too much stuff going on up here. Um, Before we jump into Exodus 16, here's what I want you to do. Um, If you'll look in the, the pocket of a seat, either right in front of you or maybe the seat you're in, somewhere around you, there should be an index card that looks like this. Uh, And we're going to do a little exercise together this morning, okay? Um, Apparently this morning is Interactive Sunday, okay? Um, Here's what I want you to do. We we just sang a song, right, about uh, evidence of God's goodness in our lives. Okay, We actually, uh, believe it or not, we come together every week and we talk through, here's what we think the worship service will look like, right? We kind of outline that together as we head into each Sunday, and so... Uh, We chose that song specifically because what I want us to do here uh, is you've got a card. Hopefully the pen around you works. I tried a couple this morning that didn't work. So if your pen doesn't work, just keep grabbing until you find one, all right? Um, But I want you to to take this, and I want to encourage you to um, think through. Maybe maybe some things are already on your mind, having just sang that song and listened to Luke's mini-sermon. Some evidences of God's goodness in your life. Right? Maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's, it's how he was faithful to provide. Right? You had some sort of uh, tangible physical need and he provided that for you. Right? Material need, financial need. Uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's not something so physical or tangible. Maybe it's uh, he provided comfort or peace or um, healing. I guess that's kind of physical too, right? Um, maybe it's something like that. But whatever it looks like, I want you to... As you think of those things throughout the sermon this morning, right? you don't have to do it just in these few minutes right here, uh, is just jot those down. Right? Write them down on the index card. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it at the end, and then I hope you'll, uh, I hope you'll keep it, right? because we need these evidences of God's goodness in our life. Uh, and I think there's something powerful about writing it down. Uh, studies, I know we live in a digital world, but there are studies that show how much more likely you are to remember something that you write down, like, with a pen and paper. Uh, So anyways, that's what I encourage you to do both now, throughout the sermon, you have my permission. Um, Now that it's not raining, hopefully you won't fall asleep as easily. Um, But anyways, uh, back to, kind of back to Exodus 16, right? We're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you weren't here or if you're new this morning, we started a series last week called Going Places. And the whole premise of the series is that, uh, Lord willing, for the next few weeks, we're going to follow the people of Israel as they've left Egypt uh, in the early days of their journey towards the promised land. Okay, We're we're not going to follow them all the way to the promised land, but we're going to follow them here in the the, the, kind of the early days of that that journey. And and here's the the why sort of behind this series, is that uh, it's in that space in between, right? in between where Israel was and where they are going. Right? We know it is a wilderness, but it's in that space between Egypt and between the Promised Land that Israel learned a lot about who they were. They learned a lot about who God was. God uses those wilderness years to be a place of revealing. Revealing of the Israelites revealed a lot about themselves, and God revealed a lot about himself to them. Okay, so that wilderness is a place of uh, revealing, uh, but it's, it's also a place of, of refining. Right? It's a place where, 
where God is going to take them through this wilderness uh, to shape them and mold them and prepare them for what he has next for them, right? It's, it's, it's sanctification, right? The wilderness is a place of Israel's sanctification. And to connect that to you and me here this morning, most of us probably in the room, um, I said this last week, but to reframe it, if you are a Christian here in the room this morning, you are in the wilderness. Right? What I mean by that is, is, if you're a Christian in the room, you've been freed, you've been delivered from slavery, not to Egypt, not to a physical oppressor, but you've been delivered from sin. Right? You're no longer enslaved to sin. Doesn't matter, you won't, doesn't mean you won't wrestle with it, doesn't mean you won't struggle with it. Right? But, but you're not enslaved to it anymore. You've been freed from it. But you're also not yet where you will be. Right? You're, you're not yet in glory where there will be uh, freedom from the presence and power of sin. Right? You're, you're in the wilderness. Right? The people of Israel spent 40 years there. Lord willing, I hope you spend a lot longer than 40 years there. Right? But we're going to be in this space for a while. And it's in this space that the Lord is going to uh, reveal some things about us so that we can see them, so that we might repent of those things. This is a place where the Lord is going to reveal a lot about himself, that we might uh, love him more, learn to love him more for who he is, for what he's done. Okay? So that's if you're a Christian. But, um, but maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You just got some questions you're not sure. Right? One, I'm glad that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're here. I want this to be a place where you feel comfortable and safe sort of asking those questions and having those conversations. That's what I want this place to be. Uh, but I also want to be bold enough to tell you that if you're not a Christian, uh, like the things I just said are not yet true of you. Right? You have not yet been freed from slavery to sin. You're still enslaved to it if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Right? You're, you're still enslaved to your sin. You're still... Uh, you're still enslaved to the penalty of sin. But the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is that you don't have to stay there. Right? You don't have to stay enslaved to sin. Right? Through faith and trust in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be delivered out of slavery to sin right? in, into this wilderness that the rest of us are in here. Right? You can journey along with us on the way to the promised land. In the glory, right? That's yours this morning to, to have. That's an invitation to you this morning. So if you're here and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I've got some questions, hey, those are conversations I would love to have with you. Those are conversations that any number of us in this room would love to have with you, right? We can do that after service today or some point this week over coffee, over lunch, whatever you like, all right? But um, back, to, back to the wilderness, Okay. It's in this place, like I said earlier, that the Lord's going to do a lot of revealing and a lot of refining in us. And here's the deal. Like it was for Israel, it's going to be difficult at times. It's going to be painful at times. Right? The wilderness is not always fun. Right? But it's worth it. It's worth every moment you spend here because it's only through the wilderness that we get to the promised land, right? It's only through the wilderness that we get to glory, right? It's only through the wilderness that we get to the place where, where there, is no more, uh, there is no more presence or power of sin 
in our lives. It's only through the wilderness that we get to this place where uh, the, the Bible says we'll experience the fullness of joy. Like wh- whatever that means, like whatever joy you've experienced in this life doesn't compare to what awaits you in the promised land. Right? The Bible says you'll experience not only fullness of joy, but pleasures forevermore in the promised land, in glory, in heaven. But you've got to go through the wilderness to get there. Right? So, Anyways, that was my introduction, and so we'll jump in here with the text. Exodus chapter 16. We're going to pick up where we were, where we left off last week. So again, if you weren't here or if you're new this morning, uh, we left off at the end of chapter 15. And what's happened is uh, the Israelites have, have been delivered from Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea on dry land. Uh, they've, uh, God has already delivered them to this place to, uh, called Mara, that's where we were last week, a place where there was bitter water. God miraculously provides for his people, turns the bitter water to sweet water so they can drink it. They're sustained. And then he leads them further into the wilderness to a place called Elam. And that's where we pick up this morning. Starting in chapter 16, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Right, so they're, they're on their way to Sinai. That's where we're going to get to the Ten Commandments. That's coming up in a few weeks. Spoiler alert. All right, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So last week, where we started the the story, uh, the the Israelites made it three days into their journey. And at three days, they were already uh, on the verge of of dehydration. And they're, they're crying out like, hey, we need some water. Right, So uh, here we get about a month into the journey. And even though God's already provided water for them, he's proven that he can provide for them. He's proven he can sustain them. Uh, Their grumbling gets a little more provocative. right? Because last week, chapter 15 is just like, hey, where's the water? But, But this week it changes. And they begin to say things like, you know what? We wish we would have never been delivered from Egypt. Right? We wish we would... At least there we had food, right? We wish you would have just never brought us out right? because at least there we could, we could have food to make us full because, man, that's like, I'm somewhat inclined to give Israel a bit of a pass here, right? Maybe they're just hangry. Man, you guys ever been there? Yeah. Some of you guys are like, if you don't hurry up, I'm going to get there, Okay. Right? You just, your blood sugar drops, and you like, just get a little irritated and agitated at, at everything. Right? Part of me thinks, like, okay, maybe that's just where they are. But I also have the full story in here, so I kind of know how this goes. Right? Um, because they quickly go from hangry to, I would just say, like, delusional. <laughs> right? Because they, what happens is they go in the, to the point where they say, hey, at least when we were in Egypt... We had the meat pot, you know, we had all the, the meat we could eat. We had all the bread. We could eat it to the full like we were never hungry. We were stuffed. We just gorged ourselves. 
And maybe that's true, right? Potentially was true. Maybe they're just looking back and it's like not really true, but they've convinced themselves it was true. Maybe it really was, though. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Egypt was a place that had an abundance of, of things to sustain them. Even if that's true, remember what was also in Egypt. Slavery, right? Like terrible, difficult labor. They were beaten. They were oppressed. And if that weren't enough, their, their newborn sons were being murdered Right, like I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you look back at that and say like, well, at least in Egypt we were full. Never mind the fact that we were being beaten, we were enslaved, our children were being murdered. Right, that's a that's a that's a rose-colored rearview mirror, man. To be able to look back at that and say, ah, the good old days. You know, right? And they quickly go to delusional, and then to top it all off, they they effectively go on and accuse. Moses and Aaron of, of attempted homicide. You brought us out of Egypt to this place to starve us to death. I mean, you hear like the, the, the lack of gratitude in, in the people of Israel. Let's put it back in context. They'd witnessed God do miracle after miracle after miracle to supernaturally deliver them to this place. Right? If the ten plagues weren't enough, then you get to the Red Sea, and he parts the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land. Then he throws it back on top of the Egyptians so that they're like really free. Then they get to the wilderness, and he provides uh, the water at Marah. Then they go further into the wilderness. He provides a lot of water at Elam. Like They've seen this over and over and over again. And, and that they're still, and they're, they're, they're still missed it. Right? They've they, failed to realize how God has sustained them up to, to this point. Now, now, if I'm God, I'm a little irritated and impatient at this point, right? Like, I'm, I'm doing that thing I told you about last week where I'm going to pull the car over on the side of the road, throw my arm over here, and just turn around and be like, so help me. I will turn this thing around, right? I'm not the only one that does that, I know, okay? I know we come into church, and you got to put on the face where you're like, Oh, it's great, man. Everything's good. I'm blessed. Like, I know some of y'all had that conversation on the way here this morning. Like, I, I know that. It's okay. This is a safe place. It's fine. Okay, but, but listen. Praise God that he's not like me. Right? He didn't pull the car over on the side of the road and threaten to take us back. Right? Look, look at how he responds in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold... I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So God, with a, a kind of patience that I cannot fathom, cannot comprehend, he responds to their grumbling and complaining with his provision. He responds to their grumbling and complaining by saying, hey, I'm going to give you food to sustain you. It's going to defy all, 
all natural laws. It's going to come down from heaven. You're going to go out. You're going to find it. It's going to be enough. It's going to be what you need. I'm going to sustain you in the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, but this gives me a little bit of hope this morning to know that, that God remains faithful even when I am faithless. Right? To know that God has not forsaken or forgotten or, or overlooked his children, even when we forget and overlook how he's provided for us. Right? So look back at what God says to Moses. He, he essentially says, hey, I'm going to provide. I know their needs. I'm going to provide for their needs. Um, but I'm also going to test them to see if they'll walk in my law, to see if they'll listen to me, take me at my word, and trust me. So, so Moses and Aaron jump to verse 6. They're going to deliver this message to the people. So, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, circle that, we're going to come back to that in a minute, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So the, the word like on repeat in these few verses is just grumble, grumbling. Right? I, I didn't count, but he says it several times there, right? They bring up the idea that the Israelites are grumbling against them. Right? But they, when, when we think of the word grumble, we kind of think of maybe this sort of passive-aggressive murmur, like something you complain about sort of under your breath and then just go on with your day. Right, um, but I, I didn't know this until this week. I didn't know this to be true. The the word translated grumble here is the Hebrew word has a, like it's much more significant than just sort of a disgruntled complaint. The Hebrew word carries with it this idea of, of open rebellion. So in effect, the Moses and Aaron tell the people, "Hey, the Lord has heard your rebellion." But then they go even further, right? They say, uh, your grumbling or your rebellion is not against us, but it's against God. Right? The, the Israelites originally took their grumbling to Moses and Aaron. They say, hey, like we wish you would have just left us in Egypt. But what Moses and Aaron tell the, the Israelites is that, hey, your grumbling, your, your rebellion, it's not ultimately against us. It's against, it's against God who delivered you. Right? And, and what's true for the Israelites in the wilderness is, is true for us. Right? This is a hard word, but it's, it's, it's a good word. Our complaining and grumbling about what we lack is ultimately an act of rebellion against God. I know that's hard. Right? I'm, I'm reading through that this week, and I'm like, oh, gosh. You know? I got... Far more often than I care to admit, I, I look at life through the, th through the lens of like, this is what I don't have. This is what I need. This is what I wish I had. And, and, and the reality is that to, look th to, like, to go through life looking at everything through the lens of, I don't have enough. I need more. 
I don't have this. I don't like to look at everything through the lens of what you lack is, is ultimately to say that, that God doesn't know what he's doing. I deserve more. What he's given me is not enough. It's, it's to look at God as being untrustworthy, as being restrictive. And listen, you can trace this back to Genesis 3. When the serpent showed up in the garden, he begins whispering in the Eve's ear. Like These are the seeds he plants in her, in her mind. That God is restrictive, that God is withholding something good from her, that God cannot be trusted. Right? It, man, when, when we look at life through the lens of what we lack, and we complain and we grumble, we're ultimately rebelling against the God who provides us and sustains us in everything. That's not to say you don't have needs. Of course you have needs. God knows you have needs. Right? But it's also the, the sovereign God of the universe has you where you are in this season of life, even in your season of, of lacking or your, your lean season. He has you there for a reason. Right? I don't know what it is. I'm not God. Maybe it's uh, so that you might see that what you Think what you say you need and what you really need are, are two different things. Right? Maybe it's so that you would learn that you're not really in as much control as you think you are. Right? Maybe it's that, so that you would learn that he really will provide and sustain for you when it doesn't make sense. I won't claim to know what, what God is doing, but what I, I can say is that if you look at everything through the filter of what you, you lack or what you don't have, then like Israel, you have, one, overlooked all the evidences of God's provision for your life. You, you, you've, you've forgotten all that. And then not only that, but you've functionally accused God of being uh, restrictive, uh, withholding good. Right, that's rebellion against the God who provides. Right, to accuse God of being stingy, restrictive, untrustworthy, it's an act of rebellion. Right, again, those are hard words. But I also think sometimes it takes hard words to soften our hardened hearts. So, look back at the text. We're going to look at verse 8 here. Right? This is something else I found interesting. So they say, Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning, bread, here's the phrase, to the full. Now, I need, let's think back. Do you remember Israel reminiscing about their good old days in Egypt? You remember one of the things they said? Actually, I'm going to go back and read it. Let's put it back in context. Verse 3. This is Israel complaining. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread, to the full. They're looking back at Egypt and saying, like, we want to go back there where we ate to the full. And here God says, hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to provide for you bread for you to eat. What's the phrase? To the full. In effect, God is saying to them, hey, whatever you think you lack, I can provide it. Right? I am the God they, they called you out of Egypt. I'm the God who will sustain you in the wilderness. I am the God who will provide for you. You are my people. 
Right? And so, I mean, that's exactly what he does. Jump down to verse 13. This is just God fulfilling his promise. It says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And so for the next 40 years, almost every day, right, six, six out of the seven days of the week, almost every day, God would provide this bread, manna for his people. Right, for 40 years, almost every morning, they wake up, they go outside, they see this on the ground, they gather it, they bring it back in, and it's enough for their entire household for the day. And then on the sixth day, they go out and they gather, and what they find is they've gathered enough for the seventh day. So they don't have to go out on the seventh day, they can keep the Sabbath, they don't have to work. God's provided enough even for them to obey his, his good, perfect law. But for 40 years, God provided exactly what they needed day after day after day after day. So this manna, this, this bread from heaven, it's, it's not only edible, it, it's also educational. Right? What I mean by that is, is the manna was God's appointed means, one of many of God's appointed means for teaching the Israelites that he was the God who provides, that he was the God who sustains them. That he was a God who could be trusted. That he was a God who is good. So, I want you to look back at your index cards. I hope by now you've had a chance to, to write some things on them. Evidences of God's goodness and faithfulness and provision in, in your life. And I, what I want you to see is that what, whatever is written on your card, like, in a way... This is like manna for you. I don't, I don't mean like eat your card. That would be weird. But I mean the things you've listed here is evidence. Just as manna day after day after day, they looked back on that and were reminded that, that God took care of them and provided them and sustained them. These evidences of God's goodness in your life should be reminders that God is good. That God will provide. That God will sustain. Right? Because that's what he does. They should be reminders of God's faithfulness. But even more than the things that you've written down. Right? Maybe. I don't know exactly what you wrote down. But, but more than the temporary things of this world. The most compelling evidence that God is good. That he is faithful. And that he provides is, is, is not him sending manna to his people. It's not uh, these whatever temporary evidences you may have written down on, on your card. The ultimate, the most compelling evidence that God is a God who provides is the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate evidence that he is a God who gives and provides for his people. In fact, if we were to jump forward to the pages of the New Testament... The book of John. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. It's John chapter 6. 
It'll be on the screens. There's a, a scene where uh, Jesus miraculously feeds this crowd of, of 5,000 people, right? This huge, huge crowd. Actually, it's just 5,000 men. And we don't know women and children. It could have been a huge, even, even bigger crowd, right? He miraculously feeds this gigantic crowd. And then um, we learn that as Jesus kind of leaves that place, he realizes some of the crowd is following him. And what Jesus knows, because he is also God, is that at least part of this crowd is following him just because they're looking for the next free meal. All right, where's the food? And so Jesus responds in, to that in, in verse 27 of John chapter 6. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And so the crowd, they're like, what, what is this guy talking about? What do, you, what do you mean? What is Jesus trying to say here? And he goes on, and here's how that, that uh, interaction goes in verse 30. So, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see you and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then he goes on, say this, jump down to verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. For I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Here's, see, here's what I believe. The Bible tells, it's not just a bunch of random stories put together. It's one big story. And the manna in the wilderness, way back in the book of Exodus, all points forward to this, to Jesus Christ. Right, the, the manna sustained the Israelites for 40 years in, in the wilderness until they got to their promised land. Right? It was the manna that got them there. It was God that got them there, but through the provision of, of his manna to sustain them. And if we're going to get to the promised land for us, if we're going to get to glory, to that place where there's uh, pleasures forevermore and, and, and joy that, that is full it's only going to come through Jesus, the bread of life. Right? Jesus is what gets us through the wilderness, sustains us to this place. Right? It's, it's only through Jesus. So here's what we're going to do this morning. You see the, uh, the, the elements of the Lord's Supper here this morning. We're going to remember this in a really tangible way. 
that Jesus is the bread of life. It is only through him, through trusting in him, through faith in him, that we receive eternal life. And we're going to remember this in a really tangible way by observing the Lord's Supper here in just, in just a minute. And so to put it on your radar, right? Many of you know this, but I don't want to ever assume. These elements, there's nothing magical about them. Right? It's, it's a cracker and it's some juice, but what they represent is significant. Right? The, the cracker or the bread, it represents what we just talked about, Jesus' body, which was broken, beaten for you. Right? He endured death on a cross for you. Right? The juice represents his blood spilled at the cross for the forgiveness or the remission, the taking away of sin. And so as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning, this is, it's not just some ritual that we do. It's a remembering of what Christ has done for us. Okay, and so before you come and take those, the, the band's going to come up here in just a minute and lead us, but here's what I want you to do. Before, before you come and take those, let me, let me kind of add this, some parameters around it. This is for those who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right, so if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, by all means, come receive the Lord's Supper. Remember what Christ has done for you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're just like, I'm not sure, then I would ask that you just stay in your seat. Right? Don't, don't come and get these. Right? Not because we want to create some sort of dividing wall. Right? We just believe this is for those who have trusted in Jesus. And what I, I hope, what I, what I pray for is that if you're like, man, I, I can't confidently, confidently say that I've trusted in Jesus. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I hope you would see this as an invitation. Right? That this represents Jesus' body, his blood broken, shed for you. Right? Let that be an invitation where you're like, I'm not a Christian. I don't know. Let's have a conversation about that. Again, I would love to talk to you more about what it means to, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Right? But for those of you that are here and you are Christians, you're going to come receive this here in just a minute. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to receive it with a glad heart, with a grateful heart, re remembering, being, being mindful of right, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In, in that, God has provided you with what you need the most. We have temporary needs in this life. I get it. God knows them. Right? But what you need more than anything else, God has provided in the sending and the death and the resurrection of his son. So as you come and receive these elements here in just a minute, hope you'll do so mindful of that. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song of response, just singing about God's goodness. As they sing, you want to come forward and grab uh, these elements and take them back to your seat and you can receive them whenever you're ready. Okay, let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come to you and um, Lord, we just confess, at least I confess, that we far more like the Israelites than I care to admit. It's easy to look at the lean seasons or the, or the seasons where there's, there's lack and begin to doubt and begin to worry. 
But Father, I pray that from what we've seen this morning in your word, that we would be reminded that you are a God who provides for your children. In this moment, I think of the, I believe it's Psalm 37, where the psalmist says that he's, he's been young and now he's old, but he's never seen, he's never seen God's children begging for bread. Father, thank you for that promise. Thank you for the, what we see here in your word that you will provide. But Lord, even, even beyond our, our temporal needs, and they are needs, but even beyond those, we are grateful that you've provided our ultimate need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as we come and respond this morning by uh, receiving uh, the Lord's Supper, I pray that we would do so with grateful hearts, remembering of what you've done for us, that you have provided the ultimate need. Our greatest need is not more money in our bank account. Our greatest need is not more food in our, uh, in our pantry. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to a holy God. And, and on our own, we're hopeless and we can't do that, but you've provided Christ so that we might be reconciled to you. Make us mindful of that this morning. If there's someone here this morning that maybe they've never experienced that reconciliation, I pray they would lean in. I pray they might be prompted, convicted to have a conversation with myself or with any number of us here that might be able to, to talk to them more about what it means to trust in Christ. But Father, we trust that, that as we respond this morning that you will prompt our hearts to, to confess as we need to, to to respond with gratitude as we need to. However, we need to respond individually. We trust that your spirit would prompt us, move us to do that. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name.